Well, after a couple of weeks of football, um, we're back. This is your number one technology conversation on Ghana Radio, sponsored by First National Bank. This is City Trends. My name is Philip Ashorn and City Trends, as I said, is sponsored by First National Bank. Today on the show, we are going to give you a sense of what it means to build a global business, what it means to be dominant in a sector, and what it means to be fair to your competitors. There are a lot of lessons to be learned from the Senate um, sitting sometime last week where some of the um, tech giants, um, specifically Amazon, Facebook, Apple and Google had their CEOs being drilled um, by um, the US Senate. And it was eye-opening to say the least and lots of lessons to be learned there. My guests in the studio today are going to give us their key lessons from that particular sitting and also some of the lessons that we can draw out of that even as we continue to build our tech ecosystem right here in Ghana. It's going to be a packed show, lots of things to learn, lots of conversations to be had. It's going to be one very interesting one. We're going to have the app segment and your tech also coming up later on in the show. But in the meantime, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you can join us with the WhatsApp number 0549-986-996. The number once again is 0549-986-996. That is our WhatsApp number. And so, if you're ready, please join in. Let's have a conversation. You can also get in touch using the hashtag C-I-T-I-T-R-E-N-D-S on Twitter. These are the conversations we have to build a tech ecosystem in Ghana. And this is the show that makes it all possible. Welcome to City Trends.
My studio guest today, Maximus Ametogo, who will be joining us on the phone line, CEO of Pop Out, Paul Damali, who is a CEO of Approve, joining us all the way from Uganda, and Andrews Apiatechi, who is an MD of ZPay. We are going to talk about the Senate hearing. Key lessons as tech CEOs are questioned. Now, in case you want some background, well, here it is. Well, um, online platforms and market power was basically at the heart of the hearing. Um, it talked about the dominance of Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Google. Um, the investigations have actually um, been going on for about a year. Um, last year, June, I believe is when it began. Um, the Senate basically was documenting competition problems in the digital economy, something that I'm sure a lot of CEOs of tech companies in Ghana will have a thing or two to say about that. There were conversations about stifling of competition in the tech space, um, evaluating whether the current antitrust framework is actually what it's supposed to be or whether it needs change. And um, conversations also came up about keeping consumers and users safe and making sure that they get the very best. Stifling of competition seemed to be one of the biggest issues that came up um, you know, from the session. Um, Amazon was drilled brilliantly, um, so were the other CEOs, but um, that is basically the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. There were conversations um, about the app stores and the marketplaces for these various companies and how certain um, rules are put in place to basically stifle competition and to give the best um, to the average user. Um, conversations also threaded along the lines of some of these companies using their dominance to phase off competition or exercise undue um, advantage over others. And so for me as a tech watcher or someone who watches the tech space, I felt that it was a you know a worthwhile um, conversation to be had, some of the lessons that um, some of the CEOs um, in Ghana within the tech space um, who watched and followed the proceedings, I'm sure they have a thing or two to say about it, even as we build our own tech ecosystem in Ghana. And the studio with me right now is Andrews Apiatechi and Maximus Ametogo also joins us on the phone. Andrews, thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Andrew. Me. Thank you. And Maximus, if you can hear me on the phone. Yeah, I'm here. Thank you very much. Brilliant. It's always nice to have you. Um, Paul will be joining us in just a bit, so um, we'll be getting to Paul in a bit. So, Andrew, let's start off with you. Um, for you, basically, what was this whole thing about for you? As okay. you sat and you watched and you observed the proceedings, what were some of the things that came at you, your initial reactions to it? Okay, so first of all, Philip, just just so on a friendly level, um, the name is Andrew Tichy up here. I think for me, it's it's been long coming. We all knew we'll get to this point. Um, the question was when and what and how it will uh, will get to this point. Um, the other thing that before uh, I'd say what jumped on me, the other thing that I, I think for me I thought was remarkable was the fact that. The, the, the legislature, the whole country can come together and actually recognize the fact that not only is it harmful economically, but it also stifles growth and innovation and it can pose a systemic risk to the country. Mm -hmm. And the systemic risk is the fact that, you know, if you take an Amazon, for example, at some level, their tax dollars will shrink. Mm -hmm. So the country suffers. Yeah. Whereas if you had about 10 Amazons, the country will expand in tax dollars. Um, if you take growth... At some point, Amazon stopped being a marketplace to become the market producer, the market maker. Yeah. 
when you're a market maker with that dominance, then yes, you are, you, you lease airlines, um, yes, you lease vehicles, less, yes, you have partners you work with, but at that point, you literally control the economy. Yeah. And so, again, it's stifling, and it poses serious economic risk to the country. So that, that for me, it's what makes me excited about the fact that some, they've actually taken that initiative. But what jumps at me during the call, during that whole thing is, one, you see, businesses is about building ecosystems. Yeah. In economics, we call it value chain, okay? Now, value chain is being able to say that, so I'm, I'm a provider of maybe timber f- furniture, but I'm going to work with a guy who supplies the timber. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure the guy who supplies the timber from the forest works with a guy who actually has a sawmill. So you have the guy who, the chainsaw man who cuts the trees, or what we call the timber merchant when we were young. Yeah. Then you have, beyond the timber merchant, you have the guy who owns the sawmills, right? And will shred the wood, the, the trees, the stamps, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the furniture guy who takes it and makes furniture out of it. Mm-hmm. Then you have the big supermarket who then raise his furniture, move it on to the marketplace. Then you have the banker who will come in and provide the financing. The credit card company will give you a credit card. So imagine you, you it's that, that excitement as a CEO being able to build a whole value chain. Yeah. In technology, we call it ecosystems. Yeah. Being able to build a whole ecosystem that is profitable and efficient across a value chain. That, for me, is what jumps at me, that, wow, we need to be thinking that way. Right. Okay, maybe it's in that spirit that in 1982, British Telecom will be broken apart. Can you imagine that BT will be broken apart in 1982? In 2014, the South Africans saw it coming, which is why they stopped the Telcom MTN deal because they realized that it will stifle the market and suppress economic growth. Mm. So I think what jumps to me immediately is how do we make sure consistently that we are building an ecosystem? Right. You understand? We're building an eco. I mean, for, for I went into mobile money, our speciality is remittances. How do we make sure that we're working with money transfer operators rather than going to take their market from them? Right. And then specialize in what we know how to do. Mm. How do we make sure that in doing what we do, we have local companies that provide us maybe security, the data hosting, so we don't host our own data. So we built a marketplace that everybody participates in it. Mm. And that is the ecosystem. And it's important we see it that way. Another thing that I thought was interesting was the fact that all, all these companies that Senate will bring in, they have a muscle and a very dangerous muscle. They have data. They have the power of data so they understand how the consumers are moving, they understand how the middle players are moving, and they can use that for predatory moves to the extent that they can actually stifle competition from a pricing perspective. They don't even need to lowball. They can just be adversary and get you out of the market. And you know, one hand, the country suffers, but the ecosystem is not built as well. And that in itself also has systemic risk because it means that the day they shut down as a, as a business, everybody, everybody goes down. down. Imagine like Lehman Brothers. Nobody ever thought Lehman would go down. Right. But Lehman went down. Imagine if Lehman was allowed to operate Lehman only all these yeah. years, over 100 years. That means the day Lehman went down, the market would have gone down. Yeah. So I think it's, 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 it's important as CEOs that as we grow big, we look at ecosystems, we look... We almost make it a point to build ecosystems. I will be coming to you um, for some of your other 
key lessons that you picked up from the hearing. Maximus, if you can hear me, what were your initial thoughts about um, the hearing and what were some of the lessons that you picked up? If you can just touch on two of them, I'll come back to take the other two later. Yeah, I think Andrew has touched much of the things that I wanted to say. And for me, the whole idea of this big giant, the Alphabet, the Amazon, the Google, the Facebook, you know, being regulated, even though they developed or innovated being from, from the point of view or the support of, of, of regulation, they are becoming like a threat to the, the market, the ecosystem that helped them become bigger, right? So the fact that law is very necessary and important to regulate innovation, to regulate competition, and to cut people to size that you are not bigger than uh, the interest of the ordinary consumer or you are not bigger than the market that you are operating in, for me, was 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 exciting. And the fact that all the, uh, the both sides of, of the house uh, agreed and then they grilled the CEOs and took them through a series of, of questions and all that. But the fear is that they have becoming too big for even the laws to regulate them. If they don't cut Facebook to size, if they don't cut uh, uh, Google to size, if they don't uh, cut Amazon to big, so they can compete in niche markets or in, in niche areas, it's going to be very difficult because what will happen is that you end up buying out all the competitors in the various uh, value chain, and then they will own the market. They will be the, like the tree, the only tree in the whole expanse of land, instead of creating a forest of, of companies that will survive over time. And like uh, Andrew said, if one giant falls, everybody is going to be hurt. Everybody is going to lose out more than other ones providing support uh, services or substitute uh, solutions so that if one is not there, the other will, will fill in the gap. For me, those were the things that I, I saw was very important. The fact that law must guide innovation. The fact that competition must be governed by law. And the fact that size must be moderated by the law. One of the questions that popped out at me was and you alluded to it in a couple of seconds ago, law-guiding innovation. Now, sometimes it's contested that innovation runs way ahead of the law. So then where do we draw the line in that sort of conversation? If the law seems outdated almost every time, but then innovation is constantly running ahead of the law, how, how do we work that conundrum out? Yeah, for me, I think you, see, you you can't let innovation be lawless. That's that's a basic natural <laughs> requirement, right? So I can't sit in my house and then think about some solution that okay, I can poison everybody with a drop of a chemical I developed in my in my home, and because I'm innovative, government should allow it, or because I can develop a certain contraption or equipment, and if, uh, if there's no law governing it, then I should be allowed to, you know implement it or produce it when you don't have laws to manage and govern it. So for me, laws is not just things that govern 
a human being, but even algorithm must be governed by law. And even if people are innovating, it must be within the existing law. And then they will request or push for relevant laws to be made for that particular innovation or that particular idea so that everybody's interest will be protected. I mean, imagine if you develop a fantastic idea and government says by law you cannot implement it. <laughs> it's the same law. So if, 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 if we don't see the relevance of law, you can also innovate and you cannot implement because the law will not allow you to do it. So there must be a balance between law and the innovation. Well, um, Andrew also wanted to chip in with that. Andrew. Okay. So thanks. Okay. Thanks a lot, Philip. Um, and I agree with my colleague. So innovation, there must be a balance between law and innovation. Mm. But traditionally, what you do is you have a framework because innovation would always be ahead of markets. Markets and innovation cannot roll together. But there'll be a framework, and that framework will then guide the market. So sometimes you go outside the market, outside the framework, and say, I will allow you to play. When I see that you are becoming a problem, I will regulate you. Or when I see exactly. that you're going for dominance, I'll regulate you. Mm -hmm. Then when I regulate that innovation, I will now make sure that I have different categorizations. So I have a challenger, I have a, I have a dominant player, etc., which therefore allows for that innovation to still keep going, but different marketplaces participating in it at all times. So it's never left to one single player. You know, a perfect example, Philip, is before the dot-com, before digital, we said it was a seller's market. <laughs> the seller took the price. You had no choice. You accept the price of the seller, you move on. Then Amazon comes in, creates a marketplace, and we say, wow, it's now a consumer's market. The online made it possible for consumers to choose because the options were many. So imagine that all of a sudden, the same people who are digital innovation drivers, who are giving the consumer the chance to choose, all of a sudden has taken the power from the consumer. Right. And it, it defeats the concept of digital. Right. Digital is disruption, challenger to perfection, but at the same time to the benefit of all. Right. So at some point, the law has to come in to bring that balance. So there's always going to be a new new. At every layer, usually it's every 10 years, a new normal is created again then a new normal is created again. Let me at this moment go to Uganda, um, where Paul, Paul Damily joins us. Paul, if you can hear me, um, I, I, how, is, how is Uganda treating you? Well, it's been good, actually. Um, Uganda doesn't have so many cases. They recently lifted restrictions on movement. And so it's a very interesting country, very friendly people. Well, we, we, we are proud of what you're doing, Uganda, flying the flag of Ghana high. Um, and um, coming back to the topic, you also paid close attention to the proceedings. What were your initial thoughts and, you know, some of the things that you picked up um, from the hearing? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's important for everybody to note that, you know, uh governments really taking the intervention to um check what big companies you know the like the likes of alphabet facebook who have what a total combined value of five trillion in terms of market cap uh, that's a massive a very massive valuation um it's happened before in the past right and so the uh microsoft in the early 90s, you know, 
had anti-antitrust laws, you know, um, coming against them, and you know, their business had to be, you know, broken up. They were prosecuted specifically for, um, you know, anti-competitive tactics that they were using. And so the the history is there for us to see that when innovators, you know, especially in the digital world, are allowed to innovate freely without some checks and balances, the tendency for them to want to control everything um, um, is really high. Even to the extent that, you know, uh, Google, which, you know, its, mother's comp its mother company now is Alphabet, um, the fact that they are even setting up a company called Alphabet to hold Google itself just gives you an extent to which uh, how these companies have grown and how their practices have influenced the, who, who gets to have a say on uh, internet, right? I think the biggest concerns, especially for these uh, um, um, the has been... Paul, please go uh -oh. on. Sorry, sorry, please go on. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the, the biggest challenge here has been how they influence online discourse, how they uh, influence other people getting opportunity to show their, 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 their business or to compete on a fair level uh, playing field. And especially because the likes of Google and Facebook have become gatekeepers of the online realm, it is very important that we, we check how they do this. And for me, this conversation Unfortunately for me, when I watched this, uh, there was a lot of deflection of very important points by the uh, big tech CEOs. They tried as much as possible to play or add to the, the, the idea that America is a capitalist state. This is how successful people um, uh, are, 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 are better, right? And so... For me, we need to come back to this clearly and say, what are the, where are the areas that you can innovate and freely go, right? And where are the areas that you can't get into, especially if the masses, you know, are wrecks over here. So, well, Paul. clearly for me, mm. we didn't touch, the, the Senate uh, hearing didn't touch on a lot of the key components. They tried their best, but these uh, CEOs wittingly deflected a lot of the questions. Well, my 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 next round of, and I'll ask, I'll be asking you later on to just list for you your key learnings. But one of the things that keeps popping up for me is when these companies were building their businesses, where was everybody else? They, I mean, yes, they worked within the framework as we've said. They invested time, they invested money, they took risks. Where was everybody else when they were putting in the work to build these global giants? And I'll be taking the thoughts of all our panel members um, for, for today. So, Paul, let me start off with you. Where was everybody else? Yeah. Why do we have to blame them for building such great companies? And then today we are asking them questions about why they have built a great platform, but then are stifling competition. Of course, if I'm building a business, I will stifle competition. Or at least I will make sure I am better than competition. Well, Philip, I think the concerns of everybody, especially you know the Senate that summoned them, 
it's not really about you know the fact that they took the entrepreneurial drive to the risks. It's more about the behavior they do, the, the, the behavior they perpetrate with the privilege they get. You see, the American dream is sold to everyone and as much as possible, if you have what it takes to pursue the American dream, you will pursue it. And that is great for you. But when you do achieve it, does that give you the opportunity to use that as a means of you know, stifling other people? No. I don't think so, because we live in a world that, you know, creates an equal, that, that is trying, or let's say trying, to create an equal platform for various players or stakeholders in society to thrive. And when you are in that position, you know, of opportunity, your responsibility is to respect the tenets of capitalism that brought you there, right? And don't use that as a means of stifling other people. So I, I don't think it's really about you know um, um, fighting the concept of capitalism entrepreneurship. No, it's more focused on what do you do with that power once you get it. What is your behavior? What are your practices? Maximus, let, let me let me get your thoughts on that as as well. I mean, you are the CEO of Pop Out. You know, you've spent countless hours trying to build your business. Then, you know, you know, sometime down the line, your business does very well. I mean, it's not your fault if, for example, you know, because you are still in competition. All these companies are in competition actively with you, either trying to, right. you know, um, give a different offering that is similar to yours, but at a cheaper price, obviously undercutting you and everything. It's not your fault that you are also trying to do your best to save your business. I mean, let's be fair. Your stakeholders are also looking at, you know, benefiting as much as possible. Your investors are looking at getting back their investment. So where do we draw the line there? Yeah, for, for me, I think it, it, it's very clear that you are allowed to grow as big as you want and as profitable as, as you can. But it has to be within the laws of fair competition. It has to be within the laws that protect the interests of consumers. And it has to be within the laws that even govern the ecosystem that you are a member of, so that you don't end up eating the other members in the, in the market space. Now, a lot of these companies have very unique settings as regards the kind of products that they have. They have very innovative products which are unique on themselves. They've invested their money and time in developing those solutions. But if you are going to use the, your position to stifle other people in the, in the ecosystem, instead of being a, a, a nerve that supports or supplies a, a blood to everybody else so you can grow together, then you are not being fair, right? So you need to be governed, you need to be controlled, and somebody must do that, and the law is there. Because trust me, if my company grows and becomes very big, and what I do is that any new startup that comes, I just go and buy them out, and I never enclose them their office, and then absorb the workers into my business, and then steal their innovation and all that. We cannot continue like that. So you can break me into bits, 
That's why in Ghana, some of the big companies are being broken. So you have the financial services arm as a different entity. You have the other one also as a, a separate entity. And I'm sure that's what the U.S. government and then the EU are trying to do so that we can break Google into different components so they can, they can compete in different, you know, spaces or ecosystems instead of having one big giant, you know, overshadowing every other sector. So for me, the laws must protect the small, the ecosystem, innovation. And, you know, innovation will not be possible if you have big giants that can kill off the other innovations or uh, disruptive ideas and people will not want to innovate because, of course, why should I compete with a Facebook? Why should I compete with uh, an Amazon? Why should I compete with uh, whoever, uh, a big giant? Because, of course, I will not succeed anyway. So people will not innovate in that space. Now, if you are telling me an ad placement will cost maybe a dollar, a 50 cent per click, because you have volume and you have size, you can reduce it to the barest minimum so people cannot even come into that space. I remember 2017, Google and Facebook made more money in ad revenue than newspapers and magazines and radio put together globally. Yes, that's their innovation, but you cannot use that opportunity or that position to muscle out other competitors. And there are a lot of, you know, uh, article evidence to prove to that fact. And that's why some countries in Europe, for example, want Google to pay link tax because somebody, CTFM, will produce news content. And because somebody searched for that particular city trend on, uh, on Google and then the content comes, then you are charging people for, you know, revealing that content to them and associating it with a contextual advert. Now you are making money, CTFM is not making money, right? So they want people, they also create content to make money off the Google search engine. Right, so those are some of the things, and I buy into that. Brilliant. Andrew, someone then will ask, are we then saying that entrepreneurs should be charitable because of fair competition, even if the space is initially basically either allowing them or not allowing them? Are we, are we saying that, you know, just because you um, are an entrepreneur or you're someone who's trying to build a business, you should be, you know, as charitable, as, as giving away, as possible like how do you then grow your business well i don't think entrepreneurs should be charitable bill gates actually made more money doing charity anyway but i i think it's about ecosystems it's about i'd use a classic example amazon okay look amazon started very well amazon grew but then amazon prime comes amazon prime is a credit card yeah why won't you give that money to capital one who's equally disruptive to do that and right. deploy on your platform. Mm. That's ecosystem. Mm. You can even go further and put that money into Capital One as an investor and still be part of that ecosystem. Right. So it's about ecosystems. But I also don't blend entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. You start by seeing yourself have nothing. You get a hundred, you get a million, you get two million. Damn, global dominance. I can do more. You yeah. do more. But at some point, you must know that you're heading into antitrust. Right. You have external or internal lawyers. Right. They will tell you. They are part of the product planning. They will tell you that at some point we'll have a regulatory problem. Right. The question is how to deal with that. And I suppose that's what Amazon and Co are facing. Let's not forget Chevron, Enron. All these are from the same tree. Mm. If you mm. remember, mm. <laughs> they are still serious global giants anyway, even after they were broken up. Yeah. 
So it's it's only a function of time, right. and it will happen. I think when you embrace it earlier, you're able to deal with it better. Right. But when you than when you fight it, and then almost prey on the ignorance of the average consumer, hmm. making it look like if the world is against you, the world is not against you. Because if you look at the U.S. today, the states, federal and even state, are losing significant tax dollars from these guys, from all these big conglomerates and businesses they put together. Yeah. But maybe if they had stayed in and built the ecosystems, it would have happened. Right. You know what I mean? If Apple decided that they would not be the manufacturer, but would just come into Africa, for example, and get a manufacturer. But I also don't blame them. You see, the inefficiencies in the ecos in the value chain sometimes it makes you say, you to, what the hell, yeah, let me just go and do, just it. do it. But as you do it, figure it out. Know that at some point, you would have an ecosystem But isn't, isn't that then stopping you from extending, you know, your capabilities to the very limits? No, just I mean, see, my thing is... Yeah. If you are aware of the inefficiencies within the value chain yeah. and you have built a system that is able to correct those inefficiencies yeah. for which you are benefiting in yeah. terms of dollars, in terms of money, I mean, why should that be such a big problem? Why can't everybody else then take um, inspiration from... Warren Buffett, he does that very well. Berkshire Hathaway, a lot of these big insurance companies end up back there. Mm. That's why we have the reinsurance mm. and the Munich and the Lloyd's and all of that. Mm. There's a value chain. They might be in the same ecosystem, same player, but it's desegregated or deaggregated. Mm. So I think as an entrepreneur, it gets to a point where you become like a demigod. Right. And you have two options. Either roll in the dollar or maximize your dollar and build an ecosystem right. so that the ecosystem works for you. It will interest you that a very huge conglomerate, some of these international companies, I can't even mention for NDA reasons, you'd be amazed to find out how they own each other. Mm. And they are competitors. Mm. Mm. So it's all part of making sure that antitrust works. Okay? And it, it, got, it boils down back to the question you asked. At what point do you stop and they say, hey, let me do philanthropy? Yeah. I don't think do philanthropy. At what point do you develop an IP and say, this IP, I'm going to put it out there for the benefit of others, but make sure that it ends up with me? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'll give you a classic, a classic examples in Ghana today where you have certain companies thinking that it's all, all, all for them or nothing. But if they move away from that thinking, they realize that everything still comes to them anyway. Right. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Right. So I, 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 I think that it's a lopsided argument. I think that the balance, as my other colleague put it, is really just having that framework in place, which is why even IPs are broken up after a while. Mm. You know, after a certain number of years, certain intellectual properties become public. Even in music, certain mm. copyrights become After open. The person has Do you see what I mean? Yeah. We do these so that one person does not dominate or one player does not dominate the market for too long. Mm. So it's really just making sure things work. I also just want to point out to everybody that the tech ecosystem everywhere in the world is still in infancy and it's still building. So sometimes because of that is why certain elements have emerged and these big giants have emerged. Do you see what I mean? Because we didn't have a law that said that defined the star market or the star mm. advertising. Mm. It was always offline. There was never really an online play. Moving to a new phase. Do you see what I mean? So maybe regulator in their sense also realize, okay, gosh, we need to catch up. In catching up, this is some of the things we must do so that all players can participate and then we can build a, an aggregated or desegregated ecosystem.
We have some messages on Twitter. And Nasir Bodhi says, one of the biggest challenges faced by the lawmakers is that the tech giants are always thinking ahead of them. Perhaps the best approach is to advocate for self-regulation. Maximus, is self-regulation possible? <laughs> I think it's not. <laughs> it's going to be tough because I've seen the money, you know, your, your account balloon, and then they're asking you to clip yourself or to uh, restrict yourself to your growth is going to be difficult. And like, like Andrew said, if you're able to even break off some parts of your business so that you build another ecosystem around it, so you become like a multiplier uh, than just a monopoly in the, in, the, in the tech space. For me, that's what I will go for if you want to self-regulate. But self-regulating, I don't think there is even a law that will permit you to self-regulate. I'm sure it's just uh, uh, how you live your, your personal life, but self-regulating has to stem from uh, some regulations that you already know so that you know the constraints and restraints that you must, you must fall in. So for a Facebook to self-regulate is going to be tough because they have over 35,000 content moderators across the world backing the algorithm that they have. Now, how do you manage that? That is, is going to be difficult. So how do you make sure that there's a law governing even how you select the content moderators and even the fast checkers on those platforms? What is the law governing? How low or how high you can price your product? How is the, what is the law governing? The fact that if you have three competitors in the market, you can't go and buy the other two, so you become the only person in the, in the market space. So for me, self-regulation has to fall within stated regulation. Mm. Paul, um, we had another message, and I wanted to take your thoughts on that. Um, this is Igalu Nyame, um, Chachu Red. Um, he says, um, there'd always, there's, there'll always be big giants. Yours is to find ways of equaling their record, or better still, finding useful ways of being as big or being big as well. It's a big market. Is the market that big, Paul? Well, of course, the market is big. I mean, um, it's a big market. The opportunities always exist. But we also need to realize that there would always be the people who have the resources to muscle out other people. And, you know, in the last decade or so, two decades or so, you know, the kind of tech companies that we've seen who have grown to become these behemoths, they've learned from the mistakes of people like Kodak, right? It's like that they understand that if you really need to continue to be the leader, then there are two things you, you do. It's either you buy the competition out or you innovate yourself or you copy everyone else's <laughs> innovation. And this is exactly the strategy that these big tech companies have played. It's either they bought out, you know, um, other smaller players who they believe, you know, had better technology. We seem to have a problem with Paul's line. Okay. It's big, but other people especially these big players, would always have the leverage 
and and to be honest with you, the way entrepreneurship is is a very un unforgiving uh, uh, venture. And so, if you're a smaller player in the market and a big uh, company like you know, Facebook or Google comes to you and they say they want to acquire you, even it's no longer a question of whether you are interested or not. It will now become a, even a question of well, my investors, my early investors are also looking for an opportunity for exit. So that now does not become just a, a question of you alone and your decision, right? Mm. And so um, the big tech companies have become smarter. They know how to play their game and they know how to stifle smaller businesses. Even if they are not buying them out, they, because they are the gatekeepers to information, because they've created these massive platforms where you know, uh, consumers are gaining information. You, you really, as a small business, you don't have a choice. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. so you can't just leave it to a question of the market is big. Anyone with stronger muscle than you will just beat you hands down. Interesting. And there's very little you can do about that. Interesting. Well, our final round of questions, and I'm going to start with Andrew. Andrew, with all of this happening globally, um, clearly there are lessons that tech CEOs and people within the Ghanaian tech ecosystem can pick up. For you, what are the biggest lessons that we can learn from all this experience? Well, I think for me, what, what, from what I said, I, I continually realize that it's important to, to let ecosystem run. Mm. So my big lesson is let the ecosystem run. In, the, in my realm of business, it's the aggregators that build the business. So I think the big lesson for me is how do I continuously work with aggregators? Another thing is how do we build frameworks in that will protect us all for the future and take out predatory tactics? It's by no fault of big giants that they become predatory. It's just a human thing. And it's a, it's a power thing. The more you see that power you control, the more likely you'll be predatory. So I'll give you an example. In mobile money, we say cash in funds, the cash out. Right. Okay? It's a simple argument. That says that if you get cash in, you get cash out, you get commissions, you get business will grow. But who funds the cash in? It's a consumer and the aggregator. At some point, the aggregator will do it more. At some point, it will be the consumer, based on how you've scaled the business. It's your ability as a player like me to be able to realize that, okay, you need both so you maintain both that ecosystem. Right. You work with aggregators. You help you bring development into that space so that the more they develop, the business will grow. I tell you something. Anything that is innovative is innovative because of the processes that govern it. Right. Hmm. <laughs> Any app developer hmm. will tell hmm. you that. You can develop hmm. the most beautiful product and will not have a single transaction on it. It's the processes that govern it, the efficiency behind it. And the people behind it right. that makes the that makes the platform the giant is built that way yeah. facebook understands that so they still work with the aggregators so on the back of all of this aggregators are still in their business those who do the bulk ad buys and all of that yeah. so in our local environment i think for me that's my learning that my my advice to the ecosystem is look we, we need to respect that if we don't build these frameworks today it would hurt us tomorrow yeah. and i think it's in the spirit of that that the Akufado administration has taken certain steps that seem harmful and hurtful today, but is designed for the better Ghana. Mm. Otherwise, at some point, you'd even reduce your tax dollars. Mm. At some point, you'd shrink the economy. You know what I mean? The economy becomes dependent on one single player or two or three, and that's also wrong. So I think all said and done, it's important we entrepreneurs 
we potential giants, we who, are, who have the muscle to be big, to remember that ecosystems are necessary. And it's aggregators that make it. It's like immigrants. Immigrants make country. Yeah. U.S. Yeah. is what it is because of the immigrants. Yeah. African countries are what it is because of other immigrants from other nationalities, all the Middle East, Asia that have come here. So we also need to make country with them. Right. That's my piece to all of us. Thank you, Philip. Well, Maximus, um, we, we come to you for your closing thoughts. Lessons that tech CEOs in Ghana can pick up from the sanitarians. The floor is yours. Yeah, I think the fantastic uh, question. I think the first thing is they, they must know how to plot their growth timeline. Right? So from where we are, where we want to go to, in between what happened, and how do we make sure that we help in policy formation to protect us as we, uh, the, at our current status or size, and when we become bigger, how do we make sure that we break ourselves into different components and focusing on different niche markets and not kill the ecosystem that developed us? They should innovate also with the law in mind because when you become very big and you become a threat based on of course, your what your dealings and whatever you do in your space, the law will come after you. So always innovate with the law in mind that we want to be customer centric. We want to focus on serving the need of the our target audience, and we must also be eco friendly, so that all the other people within the, the space will also grow along. So become like a tree instead of uh, become like a forest instead of just a standalone tree. And everybody is looking at you. And when the attack is coming, it will come out after you alone. So we must think like a multiplier than just a monopoly. And one of the reasons why Facebook is also a threat is because they've extended their you know, solutions into various arms of the web. So plugging, embedding this, putting a logo on your website, sharing the links and comments and the rest. They've spread their tentacles across the web because they understand the ecosystem within that space as well. So for me, we can be big, but we should think small. We should think multiplier instead of monopoly. And we must always have the law in mind that when we do the wrong thing, when we become too big to control, the law will come after us. Well, thank you so much, Maximus. And Paul, thank your you. thoughts as well, finally. Well, I mean... A lot of what I want to say has been alluded by Andrew already. And I want to give an example of what a good example of uh, an initiative. So for example, um, the payment systems uh, acts and the way we are going about it, I think it's, it's probably one of the best ways of ensuring that um, smaller ecosystem actors, right? So startups are able to um, grow on the back of bigger companies. Now, and so when you see how the the the, the licenses are, are designed, and there's the standard PSP, there's the enhanced PSP, there's the media PSP. There's an inter interdependency on uh, each stage a company is, and the, the ability to innovate on top of each other. And I believe these are the kind of ecosystems that we need to sort of like uh, design and engineer into whatever we're doing, right? So that's, for example, if you are setting up, say, a cybersecurity law in the country, and you say that uh, every company, before you deal with a bank, you need to get ISO certification. 
it costs almost $20,000 to get ISO certification. Young kids who are coming out of university, innovating and building, yeah. be able to do that. And so you need to start to think about how, how do you design regulation? How do you design ecosystem uh, solutions that allow uh, a, a great deal of inter interdependency and for us to leverage resources? I think markets like Zimbabwe and Kenya have failed to do this. So in Kenya, you have the big do, uh, dominance of M-Pesa. And right now in Zimbabwe, you have where Econet is being you know, uh, targeted heavily by, by the government. We really need to think about how the ecosystem is interdependent by design in everything that we do. And uh, I think Ghana has shown good examples of that. Another example is the, um, the government services websites where various actors were brought together to work on, 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 on such a platform for everyone you know, in the country to benefit from. So we really need to always be deliberate about how we design uh, our ecosystem so that everyone has a part to play. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us all the way um, from Uganda and all the very best to you and the approved team as well. Thank you very much. Well, um, we are going to conclude this conversation with Andrew, who is in the studio with us. Andrew, well, we have a local sort of example of something like this. A couple of months ago, um, the Minister of Communication um, basically talked about MTN being seen as, you know, um, having running a, a monopoly of sorts. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are about that situation as well, finally, as we close off the conversation. Okay, well, first of all, Philip, thank you. I, I think it's an act. There's a National Communications Act, mm -hmm. and it's embedded and enshrined in it. So whatever it is that they are calling, the move they are pulling is enshrined in there. Mm -hmm. So my question I'm asking every big player, including MTN, is what were your lawyers and compliance people doing? Because they should have seen it coming. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing is, did they have the data to support the argument that they are making today that you've grown to this point that we have to make you as the SMP or STAP or whatever it is? Right. So, again, maybe they were not looking. That's what I keep on saying that you know that the day will come. The day of reckoning will come. Now, um, let's also go to data. And I'm not talking about data that they sell. But I'm talking about data that is available to us, right? Once you're a player, you're a tunnel. Everything runs through you. You have access to big data. So it's it's even dangerous. At some point, you know who's becoming big. You know who's getting close to you. You know how to shut them down. Do you see what I mean? Sometimes it's a pricing mechanism. Sometimes it's, it's a tactical decision. So I think that whatever it is, the government knows why they want to go the route they are going. I just advise the government that we shouldn't stifle innovation, mm. um, which I think this administration has proved that they don't want to by creating the fintech law that has brought companies like my company around. Yeah. Okay, um, So that's necessary. But at the same time, I think that there has to be a fair balance so that all players can participate and grow. Because if you don't have a fair balance, all players will not be able to participate and grow. Mm. Okay, Because of enabling laws today, company like mine, and I'm sure there are other companies out there. We're not just an EMI today. Today we're, we're building a corporate head office in the center of town. That is only possible because they're enabling rules and laws. So in the same issue, 
with this so so called antitrust issue that MTN has found itself in, I, I encourage them to work with the government. Right. Um, it happened in South Africa in 2014. Actually, MTN South Africa and Telcom yeah. were going to merge. Wow. The regulator quickly came in and said, "Hey, hold on, this it's is going to create a market problem. No, let's not proceed." Mm. So they need to work with the government. Um, I believe they first started by having a different company for mobile money and a different company for voice and data. So I suppose you're on that journey, but it, it goes beyond the media. I think at some point there has to be a technical conversation held. And I wish all players well. I'm still in the game. <laughs> definitely, definitely need deep in the game. Thank you so much um, to all my panel members. It's been a worthwhile conversation. Thank you so much. But then, and now we are getting into your tech. And um, hmm, this is what we have for you in your tech. Hello, 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 everybody. Hello, everyone. Wow, it feels like a long time being away, but I'm so excited to be back with you and to be able to interact with you once again. Welcome back to your favorite tech show. Oh, yes, we are back. I hope everyone is fine and is safe from the coronavirus. This evening on the Your Tech segment, we are going to be interacting with Kofi and basically we'll be talking about battery draining apps or activities that, you know, run our batteries down within the shortest possible time. So Kofi spoke to me and he said this. Let's listen. I own an HP laptop that um, I've been using for a couple of years now. I rarely ever shut it down because I work around the clock and... I rarely ever take out the charger as well because the sort of work that I do with the apps that I use are power intensive. They, they consume a lot of power. Um, I noticed recently, however, that when I have to work on the fly and then I can't have access to a power outlet, the laptop doesn't stay on for long. It stays on for very a very short period and then I get the prompts that I'm running out of battery power. Sometimes I don't even get the prompt and then the laptop just goes off so i don't know what the actual problem is or how to resolve it so if i could get some advice on that i'd be grateful so yeah i believe one way or the other a lot of us experience this i for one have a phone that doesn't really have a strong battery so in a day i could charge it like three to four times which is sort of stressful because you know you are not home or in a fixed place all the time to have the comfort of just connecting your charger if your phone should go low so we would go straight to the point to share a few tips on how to save our battery in order to be able to use our gadgets for a longer period of time. Well, batteries don't like subjected to low or high temperatures for long periods of time. This will reduce their lifespan. Batteries have an estimated number of cycles designed into it. A cycle means a full charge till the battery runs out. Every time you charge your battery full and you use it till it goes out equals one cycle. Since the cycles are finite, you have to make sure you don't exhaust them. Exhausting all your cycles means that your battery will not be fit for purpose. Batteries also don't like being plugged into the socket all the time. They need to flex their muscles. They need to work. So when you charge them, allow the computer or the device to run on the battery for a while before connecting it to the power socket. These are just other points to note. One, 
do not let the batteries run completely flat before you charge them when you see the batteries are low plug them in don't wait till they go off by themselves don't expose the device with the battery to either too low or high temperatures batteries don't like extreme temperatures whether it is freezing cold or piping hot that also reduces their efficiency and their lifespan do not plug lots of accessories into the computer or device that has that battery heavy drain is not good will also reduce their lifespan four substantially adequate ram also helps in preventing serious drain on your battery in that it prevents the computer from often accessing the um, the drives to either write or read data so when you have big ram the computer or the microprocessor can pick data in large chunks and work on them and so preventing the discs to always read and write which reduces the lifespan of the batteries reduce heavy battery draining activities like um, increasing or putting your the brightness of your screen at its highest level always playing music um, using or in running keyboard lights um, playing games for long hours at a time on your laptop or your device all these things reduce the lifespan of your battery also um, if you are not using the wi-fi and the bluetooth um, they are better left off okay but for your problem you need a battery replacement thank you i hope this helps bye bye right so that's all we have for today hopefully we'll be back next week addressing the issues that you have get in touch with me on twitter the handle is at ea dapa the dapa is d-a-p double a-h or contact us on the whatsapp number that philip would be giving out share your issues with us and we will help you out have a good evening stay safe Bye-bye. And that contact number is 0549-986-996. That is how we end the show today. It's been such a pleasure coming your way. Well, the show is back. Like we said, it's going to be an incredible end of the year. Just a couple of months more to the end of the year. We have lots and lots of conversations coming up. You know the segments. You know the show. You know what we stand for. And, of course, we are supported by First National Bank. The show is available as a podcast first thing tomorrow. So please look out for it and take another listen. My name is Philip Pashon. Till next week. Stay techy!